Friends, welcome to Word on Fire Catholic Ministries. Word on Fire is an apostolate dedicated to the mission of evangelization, using media both old and new to share the faith on every continent and to facilitate an encounter with Christ and His Church. The efforts of Word on Fire engage the culture and bring the transformative power of God's Word where it is most needed. Today we invite you to join Bishop Robert Barron as he preaches the gospel and shares the warmth and light of Christ with each of us. Peace be with you. Friends, I realize the entirety of our second reading for this weekend might be seen as just, I don't know, so much boilerplate, throwaway lines that a writer would use at the commencement of his letter, something like just a formal salutation. But in point of fact, almost the whole of Christianity is contained in these lines, if we have but the eyes to see. I'm talking about the opening of the first letter that St. Paul wrote to the little Christian church in Corinth, a church that he had personally founded, And that, at the time, might have numbered, oh, I don't know, maybe in the dozens, if that. I'm always struck when I read these Pauline letters. Did he have any idea how thoroughly and massively these letters of his would echo up and down the ages, how civilization-shaping they would be? He sent them to these little communities. They probably were read aloud by uh, one of the comparatively few people who knew how to read. Do you have any idea that 2,000 years later, halfway across the world on a continent that he didn't even know about, we would be reading the salutation that he wrote? Anyway, let's look at it step by step. He commences Paul. Well, we notice it's a Roman name, Paulus. Significant because Paul was a Roman citizen. And he was eager to move about the Roman Empire. I mean, that was his evangelical missionary place. At the same time, it represents a sea change in him at the most fundamental level. After he met Jesus, he was no longer Shaul, Saul. That's his Hebrew name. And how important that must have been to him. This young man sent for advanced studies in Jerusalem at the feet of Gamaliel, the leading rabbi of the time. He, he bears proudly the name of the first king of Israel, Shaul. But after he met Jesus, he was no longer Saul. He was someone different. How important that is, everybody. How important that is. In other words, Jesus did not fit into some previously existing personality structure, some already-in-place religious framework. Rather, Jesus changed the whole structure. Paul didn't organize, it didn't fit Jesus into an already-existing personality. Rather, he organized himself anew around Jesus. How many of us who received a name at baptism, have that sensibility that our identity centers on him, is 
focused around him. He's not fit into some pre-existing thing. Everything gets redone around him. Okay? Now, how does Paul characterize himself? Here's the next thing he says. Called to be an apostle by the will of God. Oh, there's that great reversal again. Most of us sinners like to put ourselves in the active voice, right? We are in charge of our lives. We decide. We make the moves. But Paul says right away that he's in the passive voice. The first thing he says about himself, he's been called. You wonder, could Damascus have been far from his mind at this point? That moment when he met the risen Jesus, when he felt called by him onto a mission. So he's called to be what? Well, he says an apostle. That word apostle from apostelain in Greek, which means simply to send. What Paul is saying is that he's like a letter. He's like a package. He's like a message. Sent by somebody else. Packed by somebody else. Written by somebody else. Again, we like to be in charge. What do you mean? I'm not someone else's letter. I'm not someone else's you know, uh, gift. I, I'm, I'm in charge of my life. Paul doesn't say that. Called to be an apostle, somebody sent. Now, by whom? By whom? By the will of God, Paul says. Now we have it. He presents himself as someone utterly under the aegis of God. Someone submissive to God's will. Someone completely in control under the control of the Lord. So the question for him is never, what do I want? What do I want to achieve? But rather the question will always be, what does God want? What does God want to achieve through me? I mean, can I suggest, everyone, there's a revolution, spiritually speaking, in, in this business I'm talking about, that, that everything will hinge on this. Your whole life will change around. If when you wake up in the morning, you say, it's not my projects here, not what I want. What does God want? What does God want? Because all of us are called, passive voice, to be apostles sent by a higher will. That's who we are, too. Okay, that's who Paul is. As the salutation goes on, he tells us whom he's sending this letter of his to. Listen to the church of God that is in Corinth. There's a lot of interesting literature about Corinth in in the ancient world. Corinth was, on the Peloponnesian Peninsula, was west of Athens. It was a bustling, multicultural, crossroads kind of place. Not too far from the water, so it was a a kind of a port of call But see, what Paul considers really important is not Corinth in itself, not its cultural, political, or economic status. What he thinks is important is the church that's there. The term he uses, ekklesia, in his Greek, derived from two more fundamental terms, ek, which means out from, and 
Kalein, which means to call. What's the ecclesia? So our words, you know, ecclesiastical and ecclesiology and all that, iglesia and all those come from that. But, but literally in Greek it means called out from. He's addressing a community that has been called out by Christ from what? From the world and into what? Into a new way of thinking and seeing and being. Are you a member of the church? I imagine many listening to me are members of the church. So good questions for you. What have you been called out from? If you're part of the ecclesia, you've been called out from something. Boy, is it a good question, fellow Christians, fellow church people. Can we clearly name what is distinctive about us? Can we see ourselves as set apart from the world? Do you stand out? And you've been called into something, which is this new, beautiful community gathered around Jesus that thinks, sees, acts, exists in a distinctive way. Just to make it clearer, listen to Paul now as he goes on. You who've been sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy, Wonderful, wonderful. Spend a whole retreat sometime thinking about those words sanctified and holy. They both have the sense of being set apart. Set apart. Think of the sanctuary, right, in a church. That area specially set apart. But now we press the matter. This holiness, this set-apartness he's talking about, means precisely a union with Christ. So Paul says in Galatians, it's no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives in me. Now that's what it means in biblical terms to be holy. Don't think pious and hands full of those can accompany holiness. But holiness means to be set apart from the world in such a way that now you live in Christ. We can be lots of things, right? We can be rich, we can be powerful, we can be successful, we can be popular, we can be accomplished artistically, we can have lots of friends, and all those things are fine. But in the end, none of that finally matters. What matters is being holy, being conformed to Christ, having the divine life in us in such a way that we are set apart from the world. And actually now I can be even more precise because all the things I just mentioned, popularity, success, wealth, etc., can all be good precisely in the measure that they are seen in relation to holiness. Does that make sense? Those things are fine in the measure that they serve the purposes of Christ. They are congruent with his demands. Next, Paul says this ecclesia he's addressing in Corinth is in union with, quote, all those who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
How wonderful in Philippians, Paul refers to the name above every other name, right? That's the name that Jesus has. We call upon lots of names of politicians and pop stars and newscasters and cultural heroes and family members. Fine, fine. But there's a name above every other name. And it must belong to Jesus if I'm a member of his ecclesia called out from the world. And this Jesus, Paul refers to as Christos, right? Simply is Greek for anointed. If you say anointed to an ancient Jew, he thought immediately of David, the great king, the paradigmatic Mashiach, anointed one. What Paul is saying here is, Jesus is the true king, the new David, meant to gather in all the tribes of the world, which explains Paul's ministry, doesn't it? That's what he's doing, running around the whole world to say you've got a new Lord, this Christ. And he's trying to draw people into the ecclesia, the community called out from the world into union with him. Now listen, what was true 2,000 years ago is true now. Think of Paul addressing our ecclesia, us today. This little salutation tells us who we are, who we are. We're called to be apostles, and we're called into something. This new community gathered around Jesus, the Anointed One. Sometime this week, take out your Bibles, open up to 1 Corinthians, reread these opening lines. It'll tell you pretty much everything you need to know about yourself and about your mission. And God bless you. Thank you for listening to this week's homily from Bishop Robert Barron. For more resources from Bishop Barron, please visit wordonfire.org.